Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. This is a series where we discuss the spiritual and philosophical aspects of tea and the life lessons and wisdom that grow out of such a practice. After all, tea lessons are life lessons. If you'd like to support our cause and keep these podcasts going, then visit globalteahut.org and sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine that covers all aspects of tea from growing, processing, and serving to the history, lore, ethnography, and even the spiritual aspects of the leaf. Every issue also comes with a tin of sustainably produced tea. Global Tea, of course, is also a community growing worldwide with a beautiful app for members that help you learn and grow together, as well as join or even host tea events yourself. This podcast is devoted to Cha Dao as a way of life. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, like the different genres, processing methods, science, or brewing methods and brewing tips, then check out our magazine or perhaps our YouTube channel, which is also called Global Tea Hut. There we have tons of videos, including a new brewing tea series where we do cover all the practical aspects of brewing tea. Of course, you can also come visit our free tea center here in Miaoli, Taiwan, Tea Sage Hut, where we offer two 10-day courses every month. Basically, this podcast isn't going to focus so much on the linear aspects of tea, the information about its processing, history, or brewing tips. It's going to focus instead on the life wisdom that comes from such a practice. Welcome to the fifth episode of Life of Tea. Today I'm sitting here at the Tea Sage Hut drinking tea with a beautiful brother from Olympia, Washington who has just finished serving a 10-day course here at the hut and we're going to be discussing what that felt like and all the lessons that he has learned over the course of the 10 days that he's been here. So grab yourself a bowl and join us. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew Groney. Thank you, Yanis. So, just to give a bit of context, this is your second time here at the TCH Hut, is that correct? It is correct. I was here back in November and decided to come serve a course this time uh, after sitting a course uh, last year. What was the motivation behind that? Why did you decide to come back and serve a course? Well, sitting two courses in the course of six months seemed a little excessive. Right. Um, but also that uh, I wanted to have a different kind of tea experience when I was here uh, this time. Um, you know, it's often said that in this tradition, it's not about making tea, it's about serving tea. And when thinking about serving tea, uh, that doesn't just include the time you spend with a teapot in your hand and setting bowls out and pouring tea into them. It includes all the things around tea. So um, in learning about Cha Dao, it's about learning about all of the different elements that go into making tea happen, which includes cleaning the koi pond and cleaning the toilets and cooking and doing all of these kind of mundane tasks that without them, you wouldn't be serving tea. Right. So this second time uh, at the Tea Sage Hut, um, it's kind of like learning in a different way, learning all of the different things that go into keeping this place going, providing a 
great experience for people who are coming here as students um, and giving back to a community that really I, I feel like has given me a lot in terms of my own practice, in terms of um, helping to shape the course of my life at this point um, and being able to, uh, you know, offer the same kind of hopefully generosity that was shown to me when I was sitting the course. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, paying it forward. In a way, paying it back, paying it forward. Um, but, I, you know, I also think that um, there's there's benefit in the service itself, that it's not only about thinking about repayment, it's about service and, and generosity for its own sake. Um, one of the things I've been doing while I've been here this time around is reading Red Pine's translation of the Diamond Sutra and mm -hmm. the commentary. And one of the things he makes mention of in there is that in uh, Buddhist thought of the six perfections, charity is the only one that leads directly to merit. Um, that the other ones like meditation and concentration and moral uprightness are kind of like indirect methods, but that doing things for the benefit of others is a direct way of uh, moving toward an enlightened mind moving toward uh, becoming a bodhisattva. So, um, but also that for that to be the case, it needs to be done without strings attached, without attachments. And, you know, what better way of growing in a tea practice and as a human being than to be of service to something greater than oneself, being of service to others. Do you feel that you're on the bodhisattva path? Aren't we all? One stage or another? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, um, you know, I, I think that the fact that I was born into circumstances where it's possible to give that path thought means that there's an opportunity there. You know, there's a lot of people in this world... Um, a lot of beings in this world who, you know, because of circumstances outside of their control, um, because they were born into households that uh, don't give them that opportunity or the, the fact that basic physiological needs are of higher priority than spiritual development, they're not able to, at least at this time, give, give a whole lot of energy or thought to those kinds of things. And the fact that I am means that uh, it would be unfortunate not to take advantage of that. In a way, it would be kind of selfish to not take advantage of that in the service of others. Um, and not just service of others in terms of human beings, but service of others in terms of just, you know, benefiting the world, benefiting greater reality, um, both in, you know, serving tea directly and in serving tea indirectly. That's kind of what this path is all about. Mm. And tea is not the only way you actually serve people. In, in your work, you, you do that too, right? Yeah, I'm an occupational therapist uh, as a profession, so I work on a, an inpatient psychiatric unit. I've been doing that for about eight years. So I you know, teach people different psychosocial skills, different wellness approaches, um, things that really, in a way, should be fundamental to 
building health and well-being in one's life, but sometimes get thought of as adjunctive or or secondary to Western medical approaches that are focused on fixing a particular problem rather than enhancing the well-being as a whole. Um, so my hope is that you know through teaching people things like meditation, yoga, and certain principles for good nutritional habits and things like that, um, as well as serving tea, that they can move toward greater well-being in their lives. Since I got back from my course in November, I've increasingly been serving tea uh, with the patients that I serve. Um, before I got back, it was kind of an every once in a while kind of thing, and then it turned into once every couple of weeks, and then it turned into once a week, and now it kind of <laughs> gets requested about as much as uh, I've got time for, which is um, gratifying in a way, but it also, uh, I think, is an indication that, you know, the medicinal elements of this can be experienced in a lot of different contexts. Mm. So the reason why the tea sessions became more frequent was because the the patients were actually asking for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, part of it is that you know, in order to develop in the way of tea, you need to serve tea. Uh, but also that as soon as patients would hear that that was something that went on, they would start requesting that we do that. And it's really, it's interesting to see some of the people who have a hard time sitting still the way that they're able to sit down with a cup of tea. I actually remember one guy um, that I worked with last summer. So this is before I started doing kind of ceremonial tea more frequently. And I remember this guy because he was, he had just gotten out of prison. He had been in prison for say five or six years for assault or something like that and shortly after um, being released from prison had become suicidal and ended up coming to our inpatient unit and I remember this is a guy who uh, kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way um, you know some of the staff working there were kind of uh, running short on patients with him, but um, when I served tea, you know, I, I still remember the, the last day he was there that he kind of came late to the session that we were having and kind of almost sheepishly came in and sat on the periphery and wasn't going to join because he was afraid that his negative energy was going to adversely impact the session. And I just told him to sit down, have <laughs> a cup of tea. And uh, it was it was something where, you know, definitely saw a softening um, of somebody who had largely for good reason built up a lot of walls um, and being able to have that experience. And I sent him away. He was going to rehab treatment afterward, but I sent him away with a little bit of tea to have um, for his substance abuse issues to uh, hopefully re replace some of the unhealthy substance habits with healthier substance habits. Mm, wow. 
What a nice gift to to give somebody. Yeah. Hopefully it can be a benefit. I hope he's still heading in a, a track that's wholesome for him. Mm. So I'm interested in um, how were the two experiences different? Um, you coming the first time and taking the course and then the second time serving it. A lot more work. Uh, <laughs> I, I worked a lot harder during this course than I do at my job. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot longer hours and required a lot more energy. Very fulfilling though. I was fortunate enough to be able to sit in on a lot of the tea sessions to um, gather water, chatong, those sessions, which was a great experience. I don't get a whole lot of opportunity to do that in my sessions at home because I'm typically the one serving. Uh, so that was a different kind of learning experience. It was also a really good experience from the standpoint of learning just all of what goes into making these courses happen. Uh, I think having having the experience of sitting the course, even though one might see some of the ways that the people who serve these courses and set them up and do the teaching make that to happen and care for the people who are here, I don't necessarily know that it's always evident just how hard everybody works. I mean, I was only doing a small fraction of the things that you and the other people who live here uh, full-time do on a day-to-day -day basis, but I was waking up at 6 a.m., not getting back to our living quarters until usually after 10 p.m., uh, in and out of doing different service-related tasks, sitting in on T classes, t uh, you know, different things to keep everything running smoothly, helping out in the kitchen. So those, those lulls that happen for processing when one is sitting a course don't happen when one is serving a course. The lull happens and then there's some work to do. But at the same time, knowing that it's all going into helping the people sitting the course to have a fulfilling experience while they're here makes it very worthwhile. Mm. Did you feel that um, there was some downtime, though, like uh, to read books and, um, and digest a little bit of that information as well? Or? Oh, of course. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's little periods throughout the day. Yeah. I don't I don't mean to scare anyone off of serving a course because it's hard work. It is, but it's not overwhelming. Everybody's here to help everyone else out. Mm. So nobody's sent off and left on an island or anything like that. Um, the service is in service of one another. So anytime one would need a hand or anytime that... Uh, you know, there'd be a question or clarification or anything like that. That that happened. Um, but just really a great learning experience in a different way and a great way of being able to be part of and, and take a little bit more responsibility for the kinds of things that go on here. Hmm. 
very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, and we're really grateful to have you here and, and you've been a big help. And um, sometimes we have uh, more people helping us, more volunteers who are serving the course. This time it, it was just you and, and you did the job really well. And and it was just a pleasure, you know, working alongside uh, or serving alongside of you. Um, so thank you for that. Of course, my pleasure. Do you um, do you feel that you're, you're taking a lot of things home that need like unpacking or digesting or uh, or integrating or do you feel that the things that you experienced have already like the integration has already happened and and um, you have digested most of of the information and the, the learning that happened through that experience yeah i i don't know i think i'm probably not going to figure that out until i actually get home and kind of see how the routine plays out. I haven't thought a whole lot about it. I do know that there are different uh, different things, as seems to happen every time I come in more contact with the Global Tea Hut family, um, that there are things that when I get home, it's just like I do them differently. And I would anticipate that this is going to be the same, is that when I go home, I'm going to kind of get back into the flow of my day-to-day, but it's going to be a little bit different than it was before. Um, I know that when I came back from the course last time, uh, there were definitely some things not only related to my tea practice, but my eating habits, my cleaning habits, um, that... I shifted, you know, in part consciously and in part unconsciously. Just kind of looked at things in a little bit different way. And I think that that's probably going to be more apparent with having served a course, simply because when one is sitting a course, a lot of those kinds of day-to-day things are taken care of by the people doing the cooking, the people doing the cleaning, the grounds work, all that kind of stuff. But back at home, that's my responsibility too. So when I get home, I would imagine that that way of practicing with those things while I've been here is going to transition into those kinds of not tea-related, but really tea-related tasks that happen every day. Hmm. You mentioned that you had a chance to also sit in in some of the classes that go on mm-hmm. here in the, the tea sessions. What was that like? Well, when I was here in November, it was a larger course. So we actually didn't have an opportunity to uh, practice gong fu tea. We didn't have an opportunity to practice whisk tea. So this time around, it was awesome. I was able to sit in on those uh, classes, um, to experience those things that hadn't taken place. And the course is changing, um, and evolving sometimes, you know, course to course. So I would imagine that even if those things hadn't happened or had happened in that course that I had sat, uh, that there would still have been things that would have been different, you know, like the Chachi class this time was significantly different 
in the approach from the one that uh, took place when I was sitting the course. So, but it was also really good to just kind of come back to some of the things that I had learned in November. It was good just to kind of revisit those things because um, you pick up on different things the next time through. Um, that's one of the big ways that I find myself learning. It's one of the reasons that I tend not to take a whole lot of notes when I am taking classes on, on many things, especially things that are more practice-oriented, is that I've got some kind of understanding and some faith. First, that I tend not to go back and pour over previous notes that I've taken. So in a way, it's a little bit useless for me to do so. But also that I feel like teachings are largely context-dependent. That something that doesn't click at one point in time may click at another point in time. And if it doesn't, doesn't click right now, or if it doesn't seem like it applies right now, it's just not the right teaching for that moment. So I tend to think it's good just to take in what I can take in. And then when I come back to it, refine. Yeah. Mm. Seems like a very organic process of, of learning. Yeah. I suppose so. I suppose so. Uh, my attention tends to pick up on discrepancies between what I'm hearing and what I'm doing. Uh, they tend to stick in my stick in my thoughts. So while that's rumbling around, I can kind of make a determination whether a change should be made or whether that's something that I can set to the side. Mm -hmm. Were there any of the lessons or, or teachings that really resonated with you this time around as far as the courses or as far as kind of the flow well both like what whatever is more significant for you maybe let's start there what's more significant um from a linear aspect i would say some of the kung fu tea approaches that i observed both when shansu was doing the class and when I was observing you and other people brewing Gong Fu tea, um, being able to notice, again, the discrepancies between how you brew and how I've been brewing, um, I think that's going to be helpful as far as re refining that technique. Things related, again, linearly to management of kettles as a cha tong. Um, that was a really good experience, being able to handle that for the students who were here when they were learning uh, leaves in a bowl ceremony and when they were learning side handle pot ceremony. Usually when I'm at home, I'm kind of handling the heat for myself and doing that for somebody else. There's kind of a different dynamic because I'm going, having to tune in with their rhythm uh, and watch kind of what their pacing is like in order to make sure that the heat is where it needs to be and that there's a steady flow. I think as far as some of the more, I guess, I guess you could say life of tea aspects, um, I think a lot of the flow as far as 
cleaning is concerned. I think a lot of the kind of aspect of daily routine is something that I've struggled with for a long time. I'll do well for a little while and then things get off track and I, I kind of end up doing things whenever they happen. Um, but I also recognize the benefit of having some of that structure. And one of the nice things about being here is that there is a rhythm to things that one can begin to internalize. So I think when I get home, there's going to be some renewed effort to try to add some of that rhythmicity into how I do things on a day-to-day -day basis. There already is some of that, but I definitely notice the steadiness that can come from doing those kinds of things on a more consistent basis. And in a way, this is kind of a springboard as far as some of those kinds of habits. Hmm. Any um, highlights that you want to bring up from the course? Cleaning the koi pond with you, Giannis. <laughs> this highlight happened the first day I was here, and it happened the following Monday as well, one week apart, since the koi pond gets pretty algae-y. Yeah, we did in the twice. summertime. Yep. Yeah. So that Get right in there. Definitely <laughs> a highlight. Definitely a highlight. Other than the you know mosquito bites all up and down my legs, but it's the price you pay for having koi. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What was the why? Why did you bring um, that experience up? Well, I think it's just it's something that's going to stick in my memory, mm. honestly. Jumping right into not necessarily hard manual labor, but manual labor, you know, the kind of thing that can seem pretty far from sitting and sipping tea. Mm -mm. And in a way, it's also kind of like emblematic of some of the hard work that takes place, that it's not just about kind of leisurely stuff it's not you know when i'm thinking about like zen zen tasks zen work things like sweeping or you know carrying things mindfully comes to mind you don't think about having to get down on your hands and knees and scrub the bottom of a koi pond you know things that build up a sweat in you know 30, 35 degree heat. That's uh, over 90 degrees, about 100 degrees Fahrenheit for folks in the U.S. So it's it's memorable in that way, but it's also a good lesson that when thinking about serving tea, I guess this is another good lesson. You know, when thinking about serving tea. Um, the service really comes before the tea. Like if I'm looking to cultivate my mind, it doesn't have to be tea, but it does have to be service. One of those things is kind of the optional part of it. Hmm. So even if I wasn't serving tea, as long as I was serving, I would still be cultivating. If I'm just drinking tea for myself, 
not thinking about how I can benefit anybody else. That's pretty hollow. Mm. Like we uh, like to say here that when you when one ar arrives at the space, the practice begins. Um, so tea is not just sitting down and boiling water and and steeping the leaves, but it's also the all the little things that we do around it, mm -hmm. um, the cleaning and and you know carrying uh, the the wood or chopping the wood and and making the charcoal and uh, you know all, all of that goes into tea as well, carrying the water down the mountain. Well, and it kind of you know kind of comes back to like what is the space? How small or how large do I define that? Mm -hmm. Is the space the tea space? Is the space the center? Or is the space the scope of my entire life and the world? If I'm doing that, then showing up to the space means showing up to my life. It means showing up to this existence and this reality. And then, you know, if I want to serve tea, I need to be thinking about how I'm approaching all of it. Exactly. If you want to serve more tea, then it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to like sit down more and drink more tea mm -hmm. and, and brew more tea and, and just serve it to other people. But really like you can just um, orientate differently towards like what you, what we mean, what tea is. So if, you know, cleaning is also tea and, and all the little things that you do, you can do in the spirit of tea. So everything essentially like everything can be tea or, or becomes tea and then you bring that mind to the tea space and then when you're literally brewing tea mm. all of that other stuff benefits it right yeah mm. yeah do you feel that um either in meditation or during your time here you were confronted with something or or went through something um internal in your mind something came up lots of things came up in my mind Constantly, all the time. Mm. So you are a human after all. I've noticed that. Um, I think if I weren't, my knees probably wouldn't ache during meditation sometimes. Yeah. Was there was there anything you would like to share that um, maybe you you worked through or um, or just um, found interesting that this thing popped up? I find with my practice generally, it, there's just ebbs and flows. Some days are easier than others. Um, so especially with serving longer hours than I usually do, um, drowsiness was a particular challenge, I suppose. Especially I because you, you flew in and, and you were pretty much <laughs> thrown into the deep end. Well, and just the heat. Yeah. Like, I knew I get kind of tired when it gets very hot but usually that's not something that i have to deal with on a prolonged kind of basis um so dealing with the heat i think in part led to more of a sense of heaviness in my body but there were you know i can't use that as an excuse we had the air conditioning on in the meditation hall <laughs> i think some you know some days my concentration is just better than others so some days there's much greater clarity as far as my practice was concerned and when you say your practice do you what do you mean by that is it the meditation practice or tea or what both all every bit of it <laughs> <laughs> um 
all the same to me, mm-hmm. I guess. So what does your, your practice actually look like uh, when you're back home? When I'm back home? Well, I've been, I had a meditation practice for the past 12 or 13 years or something like that. Um, and I teach meditation to my patients at work. So that's a pretty solid part of my life. Um, even within ebbs and flows, as far as that aspect of things goes, it's it's present nonetheless. I don't even feel like I make time for it anymore. It's just one of those things that is obligatory. It's not something that I view as optional. Mm. Like regardless, you need to meditate. You need to have periods of stillness. I usually practice bowl tea in the morning, practice kung fu tea in the evening, practice meditation in the evening, Mm. since I don't like getting up early. (laughs) I find it easier to do an evening meditation session because that's what's realistic for me. Right. And how? so how was um, getting up early here at the hut for you? I wish I was a morning person so badly. <laughs> Did I, you find it challenging? Getting up? No, because there's no curtains on the room where I'm staying, so the sun sun just naturally woke you up. It uh yeah, it it disagreed with any impulse that I had to sleep later than about 6 a.m. So, and which is which is fine. There's like a 14 or 15 hour time difference between where I live in the States and here. So my sleep and wake cycles were all messed up anyway. So whether, you know, it was one time or another didn't really make that much of a difference, I don't think, as far as my circadian rhythm was concerned. It was more just a matter of, like, having to be really conscious about getting enough sleep so that I wasn't super drowsy uh, for the rest of the day and with the flow of things as it is, can't just go and take a nap in the middle of the day. There's things that are taking place, things to do. Um, but it also meant that I slept really well every single night that I've been here. Hmm. What was it like um, interacting with uh, the guests, uh, the participants of the of the course for you? Um, it was it was good. It was good. Some very nice folks were here. Um, and it was a, it was different though, you know, uh, with having additional responsibilities, uh, they're definitely, and, and sleeping in a different building. Um, I felt like I was kind of occupying a dual role of being a student and a host almost. Uh, so I found that they would come to me with questions that I was like, I gotta go ask somebody else. I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea if that's okay. I have that same question sometimes. But it, it was also really good, you know, um, in the fact that I was able to hopefully provide a little bit of guidance as far as moving through the course, having sat it before and just kind of knowing maybe this tradition the way that he is served and things like that a little bit more um 
I don't think any of the people who were here had previous experience or direct learning around this tradition's way of serving tea, some of the different aspects of chadao that are taught here. Um, so being able to offer a little bit of clarification as far as that went, hopefully that was beneficial. Mm. Mm -hmm. So when you hear the phrase life of tea and, uh, and chadao, what, what does that mean personally to you? It kind of means you know, something we have touched on a little bit earlier, which is tea as an approach to life and tea as an approach to cultivation. When I think about the way that my tea practice has changed and evolved over time and since discovering Global Tea Hut, uh, it, you know, has kind of shifted to occupy less of a place of just passing interest and hobby and more of a place of way and something integral to my life. Um, something that contains within it lessons that apply to life beyond just drinking tea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, service being one of them. Um, think about service in the way that one serves tea, but also bringing that lesson of service to the way that one does everything. You can think about kind of the interaction between bowl tea and kung fu tea, where bowl tea is aimed at, in a more direct way, helping one to cultivate openness and acceptance and equanimity. Whereas Gong Fu Ti is aimed at helping one to develop discernment and sensitivity and attention. And those kinds of qualities that are cultivated through different aspects of tea don't just apply to tea, they apply to the way that one lives an entire life. That if I'm bringing a balance of equanimity and openness and discernment and wisdom to any situation that I'm encountering, I'm probably going to be able to navigate it more skillfully. Mm -hmm. So when I think about a life of tea or, or a way of tea, I think that that's, at least to me, that's kind of how it applies, is that it's about, in a way, breaking down the barriers, the, com the compartmentalization of tea and life about not thinking of tea as being a separate entity from cleaning a toilet or paying bills or going grocery shopping and instead kind of viewing all of those things as coming from the same mind in the same place that are being cultivated in different ways. But, you know, that could be anything. It just happens to be tea for me. Mm -hmm. and, and why tea for you? I don't have a good answer to that question. Was tea just something you were interested in 
um, early on or or how did you actually find your path um, how did i find yeah i mean i don't know it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like asking why somebody prefers a an iris to a rose right um it, ultimately it's a completely arbitrary decision like if it could be anything then it could be anything it just happens to be tea like i could i could cultivate myself probably in a very similar way with woodworking i could cultivate myself in a very similar way with gardening i could cultivate myself in a similar way with painting um it just happens to be tea uh there are certain things that just kind of it just kind of click you know Part of it, I think, is that, you know, tea is particularly conducive to to guiding one towards meditation. Um, that plant, that leaf, has been used in that way for thousands of years. And I, as many, many, many people before me, have found that to be a helpful aspect. Um... But I think as far as kind of the integration and cultivation through tea, I don't know if I have a good answer. Um, I just kind of love tea. Mm. So the fact that it's uh, conducive to cultivating a a better life as a human, I think that's just kind of gravy. Mm. Any suggestions for people who are thinking about coming and, and serving um, the course here in in the TSH hut? Yeah, suggestions. Um, have have it be about service, which I know sounds kind of redundant, but but I think that um, going in with openness about what service means is important that service isn't about what I want <laughs> it's about what's needed so um, I guess that would be kind of like the main thing you know if you're going to come serve a course be willing to do what's needed to serve um, what else pack appropriately it's hot in the summer. Uh, think of service as a means of of wearing down your edges. And if you notice that there's some prickliness coming up, observe that that's someplace that could use a little bit of wearing down. <laughs> um, I don't know about other people. I do notice that for me, from time to time, even if I go in with an intention to serve, there's still some irritation that can come up in terms of what's needed in the moment. And I think it's just good to acknowledge that kind of stuff, that that it's okay to experience a sense of prickliness around what needs to be done sometimes, but not to prevent that prickliness from keeping one from giving of oneself. Like I said before, I think just living for oneself is hollow. Hmm. You know, this human life is very limited in space and in time. And 
on not just a cosmic scale, but on a worldly scale or a very limited temporal scale. Things that I say and do are probably not going to have a huge lasting effect. So why not be of service to something larger than myself? You know, if I, again, if I expand my thoughts of what is myself to not just include physical form, but community to this world, to this universe, to this reality, you know, getting a little bit of energy toward helping something greater than my limited self is at least as far as I've figured out kind of the best way of going about things. Mm-hmm. If I figure out something different, we can do another podcast. <laughs> All right. Yeah, interesting that you say that. Um, this is one of the lessons for me as well that um, that sometimes comes up is that, uh, you know, we show up, but sometimes we show up with preferences. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I really want to serve, but in this particular way. But then you know, something else might be required of me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I may have come here in the hopes of like help with photography and, and that's my preference. But then also, you know, I'm needed in the kitchen. I'm needed in, you know, cleaning. Um, I'm needed in the during the courses and I'm, I'm needed mm-hmm. for this podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's going to do it. Wait, are you saying that this has been a prickly experience for you? No, not really. <laughs> but I do mean uh, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I have a certain preference and I think the day is going to go this way. Yeah. And then when I show up and and things don't go the way that I have envisioned them, then there like some sort of prickliness can uh, arise. Sure. And I do observe that in myself as well. And then uh, it's beautiful also to see like how that gets, like you say, you know, like rubbed off or or it gets, uh, you get you get a bit polished. Yeah, yeah, it's a tyranny of expectations. You know, if I go in thinking that things need to be a particular way and they aren't that way, then that's that's ripe for irritation. Yeah. If I go in without any expectations, there's no disappointment that's possible. That's right. So things things move according to their needs and according to that flow. Yeah. Well said. Well, thank you so much, uh, Matthew, for being a guest on this podcast absolutely my pleasure thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of life of tea if you like this podcast and would like to support us the best way to do so is to go to globalteahut.org and sign up for the ad-free magazine we publish every month that comes with sustainably produced tea and covers all aspects of tea from the more linear information like brewing tips and growing methods all the way to history and philosophy of tea and also the spiritual aspect of tea and the community aspect as well. If you're looking for more linear information on tea, then perhaps check out our YouTube channel also called Global Tea Hut. We just started a new series on brewing tips with a lot of good content coming your way, so go and check that out. Join us in the next episode where I sit down with Wude to discuss the eight balls of this tradition. Thank you.